Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 375 with Orange J. Sofer. I'm excited to share this conversation with you with a person that I listen to just about every morning in his meditation apps. Oren is a choice instructor because he's real good. And so this time we're talking about mindful and nonviolent communications, the difference that makes, how it's done. So you'll learn one, key steps for getting what you want without causing defensiveness in others. Two, key points of subtext to listen for when someone speaks. And three, how to gain emotional agility. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F375. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our cool stuff. One cool thing is the Gold Nugget email list, which gives you access to summarized wisdom from Oren and the 374 guests who've come before him, the guests to come after him. In a quick email, you can read in two to five-ish minutes, as well as an unlocking the access to the archive of all of these Gold Nuggets of summarized wisdom you can reference anytime, anywhere. Uh, from an internet-connected device. That's called The Gold Nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Check it out. And here is Oren's story. Oren J. Sofer leads retreats and workshops on mindful communication throughout the United States. He's a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council, and he holds a degree in comparative religion from Columbia University and is a somatic experiencing practitioner and a certified trainer of nonviolent communication. Oren also creates mindfulness training programs for apps, such as 10% Half Year and Simple Habit, etc., and organizations. He lives in Richmond, California. Big thanks to Oren for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Oren. Oren, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Great to be back, Pete. Thanks for having me. Well, well I'm excited to to dig into it. I and mean, we heard a little bit more about your your backstory and and fun facts in a, a previous episode, which wasn't too long ago. So I want to dig right away into the goods of you got a book, say what you mean, coming out. What's it all about? Yeah. So the subtitle of the book is How to Find Your Voice, Speak Your Truth, and Listen Deeply. So it's about understanding ourselves more clearly so that we can have more meaningful relationships and more effective conversations. That sounds helpful. And and so you're using the term in, in the mix, uh, nonviolent communication. What does that phrase mean precisely? Yeah, that's right. So the, the full title, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. So what's unique about this book and about what I do is that um, I bring together a few different worlds. So we've talked already about the the power of mindfulness and the benefits of bringing more awareness and balance and groundedness into our life, into our work, and the kind of clarity and sustainability that comes from that. And what's neat is that mindfulness isn't just an internal practice, but it actually has all kinds of benefits for our relationships and conversations. Nonviolent communication is a process of not only communicating, but also being aware of our own thoughts and emotions, uh, desires and impulses in a way that lets us work with others more smoothly. So the process of NVC, which is uh, the shorthand for nonviolent communication, is about using words in a way to create 
enough connection and understanding in our relationships to collaborate, to meet whatever needs are happening more easily. Maybe could you give me the example of nonviolent communication versus violent communication? Because <laughs> right, when, when right. I think about violent yeah. communication, that when, you know, I'm like, I'll kill you. But I'm imagining there's there's a whole range of of, of subtle ways that we're kind of aggressive in our communications. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Pete. Maybe just a word or two of history uh, to contextualize this, and then I'll give an example or two. So nonviolent communication was founded by a man named uh, Marshall B. Rosenberg, and uh, he grew up in Detroit in the 40s, and uh, he lived through the race riots there, and there were about 40 people killed within a couple blocks of his house uh, as a kid, and this had a deep impact on him. Uh, It was a very powerful education into our world, recognizing that people might want to kill you for the color of your skin. And then when he went to school, he found out that people might want to do violence to you uh, because of your last name. He was Jewish and experienced a lot of anti-Semitism. So this had a very strong effect on him. But he also was exposed to uh, people in his family, like his uncle, who would care for their grandmother, who was paralyzed uh, with so much joy and devotion and happiness. And so he had this question that was um, burning in him from a young age of what makes the difference between some people who are able to take a lot of joy in contributing to the well-being of others, whereas other folks, when they're challenged, will resort to violence to meet their needs. And what he found through his research and his work and his studies was that how we think And how we speak plays a big role in whether or not we see violence as a viable strategy uh, when things aren't working. And as you recognize, violence isn't just physical violence, right? So one definition of violence is um, any avoidable impairment of fundamental human needs, Hmm. right? So when we think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of violence in our world today. You know, when you think about the level of human needs that aren't being met. So how do, how does this, how does this apply in our lives? Well, so if you and I are having a conflict, we're having some kind of difference, you know, and I say, you know, Pete, you're being really, uh, you know, unprofessional and uh, irresponsible, Mm -hmm. right? So in some way, there's a little bit of, of violence or aggression in my communication because I'm expressing what's going on for me by blaming you. In other words, one of the ways we've been conditioned to think about things, and this is so relevant for the workplace, is that when we don't like what's happening, when our needs aren't being met or some objective or goal that we have isn't happening the way we would like it to, instead of being able to own that, to be conscious of it and say, you know, this is what I'm valuing, this is the objective I have and what I'd like to see happening, and here's how what's going on isn't really matching with that. I'd like to talk about this. We make it about the other person being wrong or bad or somehow irresponsible or unprofessional or uncourteous. So we project our own unmet needs out onto others and blame them. And if we just kind of pause and step back and think about it for a moment, if I want somebody to do something differently, If I want somebody to help me out with something, change their behavior in some way that's going to contribute to my my life or my work in a better way, how useful of a strategy is it 
to blame them and tell them what's wrong with them. Has that ever worked? Does that ever inspire joyful giving and spontaneous change? Oh, sure, you're right. Uh, you know, like, let me do this differently. So, uh, so nonviolent communication is about understanding. Part of it is about understanding this conditioning and um, learning not only to speak. The words are actually the last thing. What's most important is where we're coming from inside and learning to see situations differently so that we can communicate in ways that other people can hear and, and understand without getting defensive. Okay, excellent. Well, so then uh, that's, that's a, a handy sort of uh, backdrop there in terms of, of digging into to the contents of your book. And so, you know, I'd like to get your view on, first of all, with the title, Say What You Mean, uh, what, what are some kind of key ways or, or categories that we fall short of saying what you mean? And, and, and how is that detrimental? Yeah, I think a lot of the time uh, we don't know what we really mean to say. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book, uh, in terms of the relevance of mindfulness is that to, to say what we mean, we have to know <laughs> first what we mean and to know what we mean, we have to be able to look inside a little bit and be clear. So instead of asking yourself, you know, what do I want to say? You can recognize that whenever we speak pretty much all of the time, if not most of the time, if not all of the time, we're speaking because we want somebody else to listen. We want somebody else to understand something. We're trying to get some message across. So instead of just focusing on what I want to say, it's more useful to think about, okay, what do I want this person to understand? What do I want them to know or hear? When we only focus on what it is that I want to say, or I want to blow off steam, or I want to tell you this, without really placing our attention on yeah, but what's the effect I'm trying to have? And what is the information that I want you to really take in? We end up wasting our energy. So when, when we fail to actually be aware of our purpose in communication and what we're trying to really transmit to the other person, not only do we waste our our energy and time uh, and the other person, but we end up getting entangled often in things that don't really matter. How many times have you had an argument with somebody where you say something and then they get reactive and start responding to something that you didn't even mean. You're like, no, 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 that's, that's not what I meant. And now, we, and now we've got to take 10 minutes to kind of unravel this whole thing that is, isn't even relevant. Certainly, yeah, that definitely happens. And, and so I'd love it if you could maybe, you know, bring this to life a little bit in terms of making that switch from what do I want to say toward what do I want them to, to know or, or, or understand or to pick up from that message can, can make all the difference. Could you bring that to life for us. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take an example of um, something at work. So let's say that, uh, you know, your first impulse is to say, like, you're micromanaging me. All right. Okay. So that's not exactly saying what we mean. That's just, that's just moving out of habit. If we pause for a moment and think, okay, what's the effect of this going to be? We're going to say, okay, the other person's probably going to get defensive. I'm not micromanaging me, you know, you don't, you're not a team player, you don't know how to work with others, and now we're wasting our time arguing. So you're micromanaging me. What do I really mean by that? So we can use the steps that I lay out in the book to understand more clearly what's happening. And so first we want to say, okay, what am I referring to? What's actually happened? I'm not just making this up. This person has done or said something, perhaps several things that didn't work for me. So we try to make some sort of a clear observation that the other person will recognize 
without getting defensive or arguing, you know, like I noticed that last week you asked me to take care of this task by Friday. And then on Wednesday, you emailed me again, asking if, uh, if I had finished it. Right. So that's, so that's what happened. They told me the deadline of Friday, but then on Wednesday, they were asking me if I had it done. So there's nothing to argue about there, right? It's just like, hey, you emailed me, asked me to do this, and then you did that. Then the next thing we want to be clear about is what's the impact this has on me? What's the impact it has and why? What matters to me? What is it that I'm actually valuing in this situation? So we can say, you know, I felt a little confused and slightly frustrated. That's different from saying, you know, I felt pressured, I felt blamed, which is, again, about putting the focus on the other person, right? I'm taking responsibility for my part. I'm saying, look, you know, I felt a little bit confused and slightly frustrated. Uh, What is it I want? Well, you know, I really want to be able to work together in a way that we're each doing our own piece and really supporting each other's work with a lot of trust and collaboration, right? Now, that's really clear. Those are values that we can get, that we can both agree on. And then the last part is now I want to know if I just stop there, the other person's like, well, uh, okay, what do you want me to do about that? Right. Or like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I guess. So we want to give the other person some kind of suggestion about what would be helpful. This is what we call a request, which is a suggestion or a proposal or some kind of indication of the direction we can go from here. So we might just want more information. We might just want to ask, you know, could you tell me a little bit more about what your flow was? What was your process here? Because in my mind, I was just expecting that I would email you the report on Friday. You know, I want to understand more where you're coming from. And then and then when we find out, then we might start a move to making some agreements about, you know, great, well, you know, next time I wonder, uh, you know, if you ask me um, for something on Friday, but you actually need it sooner, could you tell me that so that I can kind of plan accordingly and we can and we can work it out. So then so the request phase seemed like you were kind of collecting more information and then sort of the agreement phase comes after the request phase. That's right. Yeah, the more the more understanding we can establish between one another, uh, the easier it is to make agreements and the more robust and reliable they're going to be. One of the things that we tend to get tripped up with in conversations and negotiations, particularly at work, is that we want the answer. We want to cut to the chase and get to the solution. But what that means is that we often don't take enough time to really build the criteria for the solution. What's actually important here? What are we trying to accomplish and why? What are the goals this solution needs to meet? And what are all of the concerns and considerations on the table? Let's really suss that out and make sure that we all understand Uh, the full landscape as much as possible, whether it's kind of a team decision, a project decision, or an interpersonal situation. If we've established a really solid base of mutual understanding, it's a lot easier to come up with an agreement because we both can see things from one another's point of view. And then there's there's more buy-in for any agreement or solution we come up with. Okay, that, that's really cool. So so the first step is to sort of state that clear observation, and the second is what impact that observation has on me. Mm-hmm. And, oh, the third is declaring, you know, what, what you want for, for us at the collaboration. The fourth is kind of getting a request or suggestion for some more information, understanding, and, and then leading to ultimately an agreement in terms of how, how we're going to operate a bit differently going forward. So that sounds like it makes great sense in terms of being 
low probability of of triggering you know hostility and defensiveness. That's right. Yeah. Well, do you have any other thoughts when it comes to you know, communicating to minimize the the risk of of the other person feeling like that you're you're attacking them or or that you're offensive in some way? You know, it's a great question, Pete. And I think that one of the things I emphasize over and over and over again when I teach is that communication is not about what we say. So much of our communication, so much of our relationships is in our body language, our tone of voice. It's about where we're coming from inside. And um, there's a whole section on my book devoted to this, to the intention behind where we're coming from. Because, you know, we can say things in really nice, pretty ways. We can use fancy words and whatever kind of communication technique you you want to lay on top of it, right? But if inside we're actually saying in our mind, you're such a jerk and you got to get your act together and I can't stand working with you. <laughs> if that's if that's what we're actually feeling and thinking and believing, they're going to they're going to know that. They're going to pick up on it. The work in terms of taking that um taking that bite out and reducing the risk um, of getting embroiled in that kind of situation or just adding more tension to uh, a workplace conflict that's already uncomfortable is actually doing the work internally of transforming our own way of viewing the situation. And this is this is why mindfulness is so essential for communication because you can't do that. You can't uh, really take apart your own emotions and perceptions and blame without some kind of tool to kind of to, to get in there and really say, okay, what's going on here? Why am I getting so upset over this? You know, how, where is this getting me? And, and start to actually understand more like, oh, okay, I see. I was, I was wanting to be consulted in this decision and it feels like I'm not being valued enough or, uh, I want clearer definitions of roles at work, and it feels like this other person keeps doing my job. You know, oh, that's what I need. And then it's much easier to talk about. It's not like, you know, you're out to get me. It's like, listen, I, I really want to make sure that we're uh, not stepping on each other's feet here. Can we sit down and talk a little bit about what both of our roles are so that we're both working towards the same end and not not getting into these situations where, you know, we, we find ourselves locking heads. Excellent. And so, so that's good. And then when it comes to the, the intention and you talk about the work and the internal nature of it, I guess what that consists of is, is just really kind of thinking through clearly, you know, what do I want? And, it, and I guess, I guess sometimes that could take a few loops or iterations to, to get yourself past, I want to stop being such a jerk. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, there's a great, there's a great tool we can use here. So, so a couple things. So first, uh, the single most powerful and transformative ingredient in dialogue is the intention to understand. So when in, when in doubt, just try to understand because that's what communication is about. Even when we're trying to just get something done, we rely upon mutual understanding. We need to be able to hear one another. So when in doubt, we can always come back to just the baseline intention of wanting to understand. Let me see if I can understand you. And just that phrase, just that phrase, let me see, let me see if I'm understanding you. That 
in and of itself can start to change the tone of a whole relationship because the other person starts to feel our interest like, oh, wow, you're actually making an effort. You know, you're not just interested in getting your way. And then they can stop trying to defend themselves and get about working together. Uh, So I said there were two things, and let's see if I remember what the second one was. Intention. Okay, so the second one, so there's a tool we can use to help us transform those knee-jerk reactions and intentions to just blast the person or just stop being a jerk or get off my back. This comes from Marshall Rosenberg, who was, as I said, the founder of nonviolent communication. So he suggested that when we want somebody to do something, that we ask ourselves two questions. The first question most of us ask, which is, what would I like this person to do? Now, if we stop there, if that's the only question we ask, then we might go about all kinds of strategies to get them to do it. We might coerce them. We might threaten them. We might be passive aggressive. We might manipulate them. Now, some of those strategies can produce results, but they come at a cost, right? When I, when I use my power to force someone to do something, I lose some of their trust and goodwill. Right. And this is huge, particularly for managers. Every time we get somebody to do something because we have more power than they do, we lose their goodwill. We lose that energy, that, that, uh, that creative uh, willingness to really engage in, in work. That's so uh, true. I've been, yeah, I've, I've been at that receiving end. It's like, all right, well, I'm just going to give you what you asked for and uh, keep and all my more. brilliant creativity to myself since you don't seem to care for it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we take away one of the things that's the most meaningful, which is our opportunity to contribute and give. So, so we don't just stop by asking, what do I want this person to do? We need to ask the second question, which is, what do I want their reasons to be for doing it? Why? Why would I like this person to do this? Not just because they fear me or they want to keep their job. No, I want them to do this because they understand its value, because they see how this is going to contribute to the project, to the company, to the bottom line. So when we ask that second question, now we're going to approach the whole situation differently, because now we're not just trying to get the person to, to, you know, get to point B. We're actually trying to change their mind. We're actually trying to help them to see things in a different way. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where that intention to understand comes from. saying, look, I think I'm seeing things in a different way than you are. And I want to see if we can learn from each other here. Tell me how you're seeing this. Because maybe you're seeing something that I'm not aware of that's important. And there might be something that I'm seeing that, you, that you're not aware of. So now we're actually having a conversation. Yeah, that is a handy question, you know, in terms of what, what you're seeing. And, and then it, um, it covers a multitude of, of issues in which you're just like, what's this idiot's problem? <laughs> you know, it's like, right. oh, well, they may very well know something I don't. And then all of a sudden, uh, all, all sorts of things make a whole lot more sense, you know, when you go yeah. there. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, all of us have to work with people who it's just like, you know, what's your problem? Why, you know, just like people are grumpy or they're short. And there, I think what's what's helpful with these communication tools and the mindfulness tools is 
learning how to how to genuinely have that feeling inside of we're all just doing the best we can. And you know what? Maybe they had a fight with their wife or their husband or, you know, may, maybe their kids got a really, a really rough diagnosis or, you know, we, we just don't know where people are coming from. When someone's really rubbing us the wrong way, even if it's not around a work-related issue, uh, when we can shift out of that that perception and that uh, that way of thinking in terms of of blaming the other person and what's wrong with them and why are they such a jerk, and we can see like, wow, maybe they're having a really hard time. You know, maybe they're really lonely. Maybe they're really angry. You know, maybe they've been carrying anger around for years. God, that must be so hard. Two things happen there that that are really important. You know, the first is one: we release ourselves from the burden of resentment and pettiness and judgment, which is just not a pleasant state of mind to be in. The other thing that happens is we start relating to the other person in a more humane way. And what I've seen again and again in my own life is when I relate to people with respect and kindness and patience, it has an effect might not be instantaneous, but over time, if I consistently come from that place, they come around. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And so then I would, I'd like to get your take then in terms of, since we touched on that a little bit, when we were sort of in the, the other side of the equation, we're, we're doing the listening, you know, how can we do that? And, and even if someone is kind of short or accusatory, you know, how can we do a good job of listening without, you know, feeling that feeling of, of being attacked, offended, uh, getting defensive, bubbling up in ourselves? Yeah, it's uh, that's the other side of it. It's uh, it's such an important skill. And this is actually this is one of the most powerful tools that we can develop is the ability to listen to what someone really means regardless of what they're actually saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm finding myself talking about Marshall a lot on this, uh, on our call today, but uh, it's for good reason. He was a very wise man. So (laughs) one of the other things that he said that I love is he said, um, he said, I suggest you never listen to what people think about you. You'll live longer and enjoy your life more. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what he means by that, what he means by that is don't listen to the blame and the judgments and the criticism that are coming out of people's minds. Try to hear what's in their heart. So we can actually train our attention to listen beneath the words to two things. One, how someone's feeling. And in the workplace, that's generally going to be more of a silent awareness. We're just like, oh, wow, this person seems, uh, whether they're pissed or frustrated or uh, hurt or upset or confused or irritated or annoyed or stressed, we can kind of pick up on, okay, what's going on for this person on the emotional level? And then that creates a little bit of a sense of empathy. We can feel where they're at as a human being. Okay. Then the, then the next part, which is, which is where the real transformation occurs is what matters, you know, what's important to this person underneath what they're saying, whether they're blaming me or complaining about someone else, what, what do they really value here? What are they needing? And that's where we can start to listen to somebody and de-escalate a situation without taking it personally. So for example, you know, someone, someone says, uh, God, you're so critical. Why are you so critical all the time? All that comes out of you is just judgment and negative stuff. So I can hear that. I can hear that. I can, it's gonna, probably going to take me a moment because i got to you know, do this little Aikido move where I don't absorb that energy. I just kind of sidestep it, let it go past me. 
and say, all right, what's going on for this person? Maybe they're wanting a little bit more recognition, a little bit more uh, appreciation for the for what they're what they're bringing forward. And I might ask, I might say, you know, I'm hearing that some of the ways that I relate or uh, express myself don't don't really work for you. Uh, I thank you. I'm glad you're telling me that. It's not my intention. And I, I want to check. It sounds like you're wanting some more appreciation or acknowledgement for how hard you've worked on this and the the contributions that you're making. Or, or is there something else that is there? Some, is it something else? Right. So I'm just I'm actually trying to understand you, and I'm not I'm not taking on that story. I'm just really listening for what's important for you. Okay. Interesting. Well said. Sidestepping and not taking on that story. It really kind of you know sparks a, a visual in terms of there's a whole lot of I don't know. I, I've always imagined like someone's got a bucket of tar. <laughs> And they're just sort of going to shove it such that it uh, flies out of the bucket and and in your direction. And you're you're saying, no, no, rather than get the tar on you and and say, how dare you? (laughs) You know, I'm a mess. We're just going to sidestep it and say, how interesting that uh, this this person thought that that was uh, something that they needed to do. You know, let's kind of, I don't want to call it fun, but uh, but, but that's... uh, or enjoyment, but it's sort of like, it's, it's a bit of a puzzle. You know, that's kind of how I'm relating to it is like, you can get interested and engaged in that thing on a different level of, oh, I'm, I'm trying to kind of get to the bottom of this, as opposed to I'm trying to conquer and overcome and, and win and be right within this. Right. Yeah. There are two levels to this. So one is understanding that, you know, when people are blaming and judging us, uh, they have some unmet need. That blame and judgment is just a tragic and counterproductive expression of our own unmet needs. And when we really understand that, we don't have to take on the blame or the story. We can just say, oh, what's going on for you? You know, something's not working. Let me see if I can understand that. That's one level. There's another level here, which is kind of a meta level on the conversation, which is how are we talking to each other and what kind of workplace culture do we have? And that's something that we can address, but that it's better to address outside of the actual moment. So we have the conversation, we, we, we de-escalate things, we hear what's important for them, we offer some understanding, uh, you know, we, maybe we make some agreements or if we contributed in some way, you know, we apologize, say, hey, I'm sorry, it wasn't where I was, wasn't where I meant to come from, but I can see how that had that impact on you. Uh, but then we can also have a conversation, say, you know, listen, I wanted to just, uh, I wanted to just talk a little bit about how things came out, you know, when you said that, you know, I'm, I'm so critical and judgmental and I, uh, I'm, I'm always nitpicking and I never, uh, never care about or appreciate anyone else. That was, that was kind of hard to hear. And, uh, I'd just love to to find a way that we can both express ourselves with with uh, you know sense of care and respect for one another, so we can actually address the way we're talking to one another. Um, but it's best to do that outside of the moment. We got to handle the situation that's happening first. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's that's well said, and, and I did want to dig into your your take on sort of the the best practices for you know how does one ask for, you know, what you need in, in a, in an optimal kind of a fashion. It seems like we, we've already got a, a few kind of principles and, and processes to, to work through, but do you have any uh, extra things to, to point out when you're making a request? Yeah, absolutely. Requests are, are tricky because a lot of us have been conditioned to uh, think it's selfish 
to ask for things from other people. So some of this falls around, you know, around gender lines and how we've been, how we've been conditioned or where, you know, what our social location is. Um, so based on our conditioning, we may feel more or less comfortable or willing to speak up and ask for what we need. So a certain part of it is some of that internal work of just checking, you know, do I feel okay asking for others to do things or help out or contribute to me? And and one of the keys there, because a lot of us have have stories that, you know, I should be able to do it on my own. Uh, I'm selfish if I ask for something. Um, I don't want to be needy or dependent. All, all of these kinds of junk that we pick up along the way in life. But if we turn the tables around for a minute and we just think about if a friend or, uh, you know, a coworker came to me and said, hey, I could really use some help. You know, do you, ha- do you have a few minutes? If someone's sincere and we have the time, we're more than happy to help. We're like, yeah, totally. What's up? Right. And that mm-hmm. feels good. It feels good to lend a hand to someone when we can. So if we contemplate that, then we can recognize, you know, if I can ask in a way that's inviting, I'm actually giving the other person something beautiful. I'm giving them an opportunity to contribute in a way that feels good. And so that's kind of the key behind making requests. It's it's one, finding that place inside where we're not demanding uh, that somebody do something, which takes all the joy out of giving and helping, uh, but we're inviting them. It's an open door. And one of the things that makes that the most possible uh, is letting them know how it's going to contribute to us. We need to let someone know why we're asking. You know, how will this actually help me? What's the reason behind my asking? And then that gives the person a reason uh, to want to help. The other part is really making sure that we're clear uh, that there's no obligation or demand here. This is a suggestion. I'm just saying, how about this? And if this doesn't work for you, I'd love to I'd love to see if we can find another way that this could happen. You know, so then again, it becomes a dialogue. It becomes a collaboration. That's excellent. You've got another term I want to just hear a a touch about because it sounds like something I want. Uh, What is emotional agility and, and how can we get some more of that? Oh, ho, ho, grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, emotional agility is, uh, is essential in life. <laughs> emotional agility is that ability to be aware of what we're feeling and have the strength and the capacity to manage it without it dictating our actions or our words. And uh, this takes practice, but it's completely feasible And uh, there are a few steps to it. The first step is learning to be aware of our emotions, just using mindfulness to identify how we're feeling uh, and finding a way to to experience our emotions with some degree of balance. So we don't get swept away uh, in the tide of thinking and reacting and sinking into motion or, or lashing out or the other extreme, which is suppressing and avoiding our emotions. So we we find that middle ground where we can just feel the way we feel and stay balanced with it. So that's a lot of the work of mindfulness. Then the, the, the next kind of phase is starting to actually understand our emotions and the function that they play in our life and our relationships. So emotions are there for a reason. If we feel something, it's because there's something that matters to us. We don't feel emotions if there's nothing that matters to us in a situation. 
So emotions are sending signals. Uh, they're sending signals either that our needs were met, pleasant feelings, things are going well, my values and needs are being confirmed or met in some way. Unpleasant emotions, it's a message, it's a signal that there's something not working for me here. There's some need I have that isn't being met. So what's essential in understanding emotions is connecting them back to what actually matters to us and being able to identify, like, what am I what am I actually wanting here? What's important to me? When we can understand that, when we can really see it clearly, there's a settling that happens inside because the message has been received. The emotion has actually served its purpose. And now we can go about figuring out how to meet that need. What, 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 what action is necessary here? So then the last aspect of emotional agility. So we've got being aware of our emotions and staying balanced. Then we've got understanding our emotions. You know, what message is this sending? What's actually important to me here? Now, the last part is learning how to communicate them constructively, how to hear others' emotions and how to express our own emotions in a way that's helpful. And this is really where that training in nonviolent communication comes in, where we're able to, to be aware of how we feel on the inside instead of those stories of blame. I feel ignored. I feel attacked. I feel judged, which are all pointing the finger at you. Instead, being able to talk about, you know, I felt a little bit sad when I heard that I wasn't invited. You know, I to, to be able to own how we actually feel instead of, you know, I feel dismissed, which is, again, telling you what you're doing to me. So being able to um, state our emotions that in a way that's about us and then connect them to our needs, to why I really wanted to be included or uh, I really value being a part of the team or, you know, I really enjoy your company and want to want to be able to build our relationship. So linking our emotions and feelings back to our needs. So that's that's the kind of overview, the the snapshot of developing emotional agility. And I I go into that a lot more in uh, in Say What You Mean in the book. You know, one of the things when, when I heard the term emotional agility that I got to thinking about is, is how often I am in one emotional state. You know, let's just call it irritated. There was a, a distracting noise that uh, a laundry machine, you know, keeps making a, a bunch of, of noise and, and vibration that uh, is drawing my attention away and I, and I don't like it. But then the emotion that uh, would be most kind of constructive, it might maybe in a conversation could be, you know, maybe a curiosity or, or, or interest or compassion. And, and so do you have any thoughts for uh, how can we, I don't know, we're not robots that could sort of flip a switch and execute new emotion instantly, but uh, do you have some, some pro tips for, you know, when we kind of need to access a, a different side of ourselves to, to rise to an occasion, how do we do that quickly? Yeah. How do we do it quickly? You know, I think it takes practice. It's not something that happens overnight. So if we want to be able to come from that place of curiosity or more genuine care or compassion, we need to actually practice it. We need to cultivate those kinds of emotions and intentions in ourselves. And then when we do, when we've actually trained our heart or our mind to know how to find goodwill, how to find curiosity, then in the heat of the moment, it's there for us. And then we can come back to it. Okay, certainly. There's yeah, and you know, I think one other one other key there, I appreciate the question. One other key there is one of the central perspectives 
to nonviolent communication, which we've been dancing around, but I haven't stated explicitly, which is a particular view or perspective on human behavior, uh, which is at the heart of humanistic psychology, going all the way back to Abraham Maslow and um, Mendel and Carl Rogers, which is that all human behavior can be seen as an attempt to meet some kind of basic needs. Mm -hmm. And so when we view things in that way, we can always ask ourselves the question, what does this person need? What matters to this person? And that's a way to get curious, even if we're reactive, to remember that sense that, okay, human beings do stuff because there's something that matters to them. What matters to this person? Oh, excellent. Thank you. Any final things you care to share before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, it's been great talking. I'm really happy to share all these tools with uh, with you and your audience. I just uh, hope they're helpful for folks in their life and at their work. Oh, yes. Thank you. Well, now can you share with us a, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've given a few already on the show, but I'll, I'll share one more. And uh, this really points to a central communication tool. Uh, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Oh, I like that. Thank you. You know, and it's that simple skill that a lot of times we do over email. We'll say like, let me know that you got this. But we can do that during conversation too. We can actually check, especially when we say something important or meaningful to us, or it feels like someone else is saying something important or meaningful. We can check. We say, I want to make sure I'm still with you. Let me, let me, let me just tell you back what I'm hearing and you tell me if I got it right. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? Gary Snyder's book, The Practice of the Wild, is a phenomenal uh, take on culture, society, and nature. And uh, it's just a beautiful collection of essays uh, that bring together a lot of wonderful ideas. And a favorite tool? A favorite tool? Say more, my friend. What, you mean a physical tool or a... Oh, it could be, it could be a physical tool. It could be a, a piece of, of software. It could be a, a framework of thought. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Piece of software. I have a, a screen app uh, that I use called Time Out that uh, I can set it to different intervals. And it reminds me to take a pause while I'm working at my computer uh, for my physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Oh, excellent. And is there a particular nugget you've been sharing from the book that really seems to to connect and resonate and get folks nodding their heads? Yeah. Um, one of the main uh, steps that I encourage people to do in communication practice is to focus on what matters. And that's a skill we can develop to keep coming back to that question of what really matters here in myself, in another person, in a situation, and to get underneath the layers of the stories and the judgments and the what ifs and the who did and when and why and to, okay, what really matters here? So focus on what matters. And if folks want to learn more and get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, so there's a great way to get in touch, which is through my website, www.orangesofer.com. And uh, if folks want to learn more from me, uh, I have a free gift to give away six guided meditations when you join my newsletter. And the way to sign up for that is to text the word guided, G-U-I-D-E-D, like guided meditation, to 44222. You'll get six guided meditations, and then every month I send us a free guided meditation or an article or a link to a free online event that I'm doing. So it's a great way to stay in touch and also get some more teaching and tools. Oh, cool. Thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, absolutely. Take this on as a practice. 
communication is a learnable skill. It's not just something that some people are good at and other people aren't. You can improve your communication if you set an intention to, to work with it. So bring more awareness and presence into your communication and focus on what matters. And if you want to learn more, you can check out my book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. Beautiful. Well, Or, this has been a treat once again. Uh, thank you. I wish you tons of luck with the book, Say What You Mean, and, and all you're up to. Thanks so much, Pete. It's been great being back on the show. I really appreciated Oren's finer distinctions when it comes to, in those conversations, focusing in on what happened and focusing in on the impact on you, you know, as opposed to, you know, you are micromanaging me or you are controlling me or I felt controlled as opposed to I felt kind of frustrated. It's like, okay, that's what you felt. And this is what happened. Those little distinctions make the world of difference. So I encourage you to maybe even write down, if you're thinking that difficult conversation comes to mind, you'd like to have nonviolently, maybe even script out a couple of those key sentences to just watch yourself and, and see, hmm, does that sound violent? Does that sound aggressive? Or how might I rephrase that? Maybe even chat through it with a trusted partner. And then go into the conversation and, and go there and, and you may very well get some great results without sparking a lick of defensiveness. So good stuff from Oren. Hope you dug it. The show notes, the transcript and links, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F375. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll hear from our very next guest. And that is Todd Rose. He is the director of Harvard's The Mind, The Brain and Education or something like that program. And it's really cool in terms of the insights he's figured out when it comes to the commonalities associated with dark horses, folks who are smashingly successful that no one saw coming. He zeroes in on what are some of those particular attributes and themes and patterns and how can we become one of them. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.